everyone. Pastor David here, and welcome to Take a Knee. Again, I just want to shout out to my faithful followers, those who've been listening to this podcast for the last several months. We're very quickly approaching 50 posts since we began this and very excited. I know I've been kind of hinting toward doing some other creative things here. And of course, this requires a little bit of planning and getting things together, which is often hard these days with the growing church and other activities going on. But I promise we will get to that. I do want to interview some people and get some creative commentary going on, and I hope to get to that very, very soon. So again, thank you for joining me here today. Well, today I want to talk about the world and how it tends to play us. And I speak of the world, I'm really talking about Those people that control the narrative, those who talk about things to kind of get us thinking a certain way. And if you're not aware of that, then you need to do some reading about how the media and so many other ways of communicating, and I mean all forms of media from the Twitterverse, the social media world, television, and all the other different avenues that are just controlled. And to get the public to be thinking a certain way. And, you know, we used to think that was just conspiracy theory only to find out now that it's absolutely true. And what's interesting is the more the pressure was placed upon those who were controlling this and the more they were trying to hide it or deny it or call it silly conspiracy, the more they were pushed into the corner, the more they had to protect it and therefore kind of flush them out to where we actually saw them doing it. And now they're actually admitting to it and then justifying it. And that's usually the way it goes. Person hides it, they're caught with it, and then they deny it. And then when they're caught in their lies, then they have to defend it. And that's usually the undoing Unless, of course, everybody else in the world just says, well, we don't care. And then there you go. But today, I want to talk to you about how Christians tend to be played when it comes to a very sensitive topic. And what is that sensitive topic? The one that Christians think about a lot. And what do we think about? Well, we think about the second coming of Christ, don't we? I mean, if you think about it, when things get tough, It's Maranatha, Lord, come quickly, right? We would like to see this thing be wrapped up because we're kind of tired of the stuff that's going on and there's nothing we can do about it, apparently. Whether we can vote or not vote or we can have choice when it comes to our schools, when it comes to this world and how it is going, we feel helpless. And so we really look to the second coming of Christ as being our bailout. And you know, look, I am one who would love to see Jesus come today. I'm all in. If I hear the trumpet sound right now and there indeed is a rapture, I want to be on the first wave. I want out and I'm ready to go to heaven. I know you are too. Unless you're young, you're probably thinking, I'm not really ready to go yet. I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want to travel. I want to do all the different things. And I get that. I remember when my wife and I were very young, we were very early married and there was a conference we went to and there was a man there who was teaching and he was talking about how Jesus was going to come very, very soon and that we should really start preparing. And and I remember thinking to myself, you know, and this was 35 years ago, I've been married 35 years and 35 years ago, 
this happened. And I remember thinking, wait, 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 and, you know, we were only getting started here, you know, to enjoy life as a young couple. And of course it didn't happen. It's been 35 years. But again, it's not to say that it couldn't have come. It's not to say that it was a wise thing to be prepared. They call this the imminency of Christ, this general feeling that Jesus could come anytime. In fact, all the believers in the New Testament, and you can feel it in their writings, were all under the impression that Jesus was likely going to come in their lifetime. Talk about the imminence of Christ. That was 2,000 years ago. So here we are, still waiting, and I'm looking forward, and he's going to be good for his promise. He will come when the Father tells him to come. Jesus tells us, tells Peter, don't worry about that. There in Acts chapter 1, he says, don't worry about that. You focus on getting filled with the Holy Spirit and going into the world and telling them about what it is that I've done. So let's get back to this topic. So we are being played a little bit. They know that they can use the second coming of Christ as a way of causing us to take our foot off the accelerator. And that we won't try to change things because, well, why should we? I mean, think about that. So if they are causing Christians to maybe think about the second coming of Christ and getting us to think about that all the time, then we kind of settle into this anesthetized kind of lazy way of looking at things and that we won't be politically active. You know, we'll just kind of say, you know what? It doesn't matter. I'm not going to be here. And so I see this a little bit in how it's being used to cause fundamental Christians, you know, those who are really focused on the second coming of Christ. Again, that's all of us. But if this begins to dominate our thinking, you can imagine. So I have an illustration of this. And that is, imagine if you were working in the field and you were there working all day. And normally you work from eight to six every single day. First thing you get out in the field and you work all day, you take a quick break for lunch, maybe a water break in between. And it's a long, hot, hard day, but it's good work. You get paid well. But on this particular day, somebody walks up to you and says, hey, I heard we're getting off at three today. And he walks away with a smile and you think, wow, that's awesome. And so maybe they told you on 11 o'clock, you have your lunch and you think, man, this is going to be an easy afternoon. And so you go out there and what ends up happening is you get what is called the short termer attitude. And yet what happens is somebody walks up and says, oh, uh, did you hear a rumor that we're getting off at three o'clock today? Well, that was just a rumor. That's not what's happening. So three o'clock comes and goes and two things happen. One, you didn't work as hard as you should from one to three. Because you're thinking you're going to get off, you get what is called a short-termer attitude. And then, of course, after three o'clock comes and goes, you're disappointed. And so as a result, you're not working nearly as hard as you should be for the last three hours. And so this is the kind of thing that I'm talking about here, this short-termer attitude. You know, in the military, and this is where I actually got this thought, they call it the short-termer attitude or getting short. And I'm talking about the company commanders. They know that when a soldier is two or three months short of getting out, getting out of the military, that they are worthless. Now, it's not being worthless as a person, but worthless as in the sense of getting them to be motivated to do anything. They show up for PT and then they just disappear. They're like ghosts. But for them, you think about that, they just disappear. And so they call it getting short or having a short-termer's attitude. But we as Christians... We really can't act like that. We've got to be in the field and we can't let our guards down. So imagine if someone continued daily 
to say, hey, it could happen today. It could happen today. It could happen today. We find ourselves getting focused on getting out rather than focused on the job. Now, it's interesting. Jesus does talk about this. He talks about how we should be in the field. And he says, will God find faith on the earth when he comes again? Will we be out there in the field? It says one will be left, another will go. What he's saying is we should be focused on the mission, on the kingdom, and not allow ourselves to get that short-termer attitude. And that's what I'm saying here today. That's my encouragement to you, is that if you take your eyes off of the vision, off the purpose of being here, then you're going to become less fruitful. You're going to be less focused. You're going to be drawn into this passive state, which the world is really counting on the church doing, because they know, as my pastor used to say, history belongs to those who pray. And I mean, just give that a thought for a bit, that when you think of history, history is playing out in front of us every single day. And yet, if you take the mindset that everything is already pre-planned the way God wants it to be, kind of a divine providential plan, which I believe in, but I can't live that way. I've got to almost take my eyes off the reality that the Father knows the day and the hour, okay? He knows when this is all going to be wrapped up. And guess what? He's not telling me. He's not going to tell you. Now, Jesus said you would know the season, right? He says when the leaves begin to change and you begin to see and feel that things are getting close, we'll know it. We'll discern it. As a matter of fact, he really kind of doubles down on that to the disciples to say, you're going to know when things are getting close to the end. And so maybe you could make the argument that we're getting to that place. Maybe you could say, I can feel the leaves changing. I can sense that the morality of the world is becoming more and more confused and the enemy is becoming more desperate in pouring out some of his evil. I, I don't know. I mean, I like to swim. That's my exercise of choice. And as I go through the pool and swimming, I give these things a lot of thought. And I was thinking about that in my lifetime or even what I've studied. I can't imagine a darker period of history when it comes to morality. Now, it's a great time to be alive as far as human advancement. I mean, my goodness, I had back surgery. That was an amazing thing. The scar in my back is only two inches long and what they were able to accomplish in a short period of time. It just fixed my life. It's changed my life. And wow, I mean, it couldn't have done that even 50 years ago. So it's a great time to be alive. The things that we have accessible to us with modern technology, even doing what I'm doing here to communicate to you. Great time to be alive. But in respect to that, or in conversely, I guess is what I'm trying to say, if you look at everything else, it seems to be also a very dark time, a very confusing time. Maybe it's only for Christians. I don't know. Maybe it is for only those who have made a decision to follow Christ. Well, the church is still here, and the church still has a mandate, and the church is still called to be salt and light, regardless of whether you're listening to this on a $1,000 phone. We cannot back off our Great Commission, can we? No, we can't. Jesus says that he wants to find us in the field. We've got to continue. We must continue growing and planting, equipping, and changing this world the best we can. Of course, by the power 
and the leading of the Holy Spirit. So to finish today, how can we do this? I want to share with you some ideas, kind of a hit list of things that might help you to stay focused and not anesthetized and not drawn into a sleepy-eyed thought that Jesus is going to bail us out, which, again, he will. But we don't know the day nor the hour. We don't know when he's coming. We don't want to be like the bridesmaids who have fallen asleep or the bride who have forgotten that her groom is coming. Jesus said, keep your lamps burning because you never know when he comes. He'll be at night. And at night, we need to have lamps. We need to have the light of the Spirit still shining brightly in our hearts to be prepared. But more than anything, to go and share the gospel. So I'll tell you what, let me share with you four things in how you can prepare and not let this short-termer attitude get a hold of you. Number one, first, we must seek first the kingdom. Matthew 6, 33. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you as well. He is giving us the priority. By seeking the kingdom, what is he really talking about? Well, it's a very broad spectrum encouragement here. He's talking about seeking the ways of God by focusing on morality, focusing on staying close to him. But ultimately, it is to love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love people as ourselves. And to do both of those, that means we need to be a worshiper. We need to be engaged in the church. We need to seek him in all of our life and all that we do. That needs to be a major priority in our life and to, to seek his righteousness, to be close to him, to love God, and again, to go and share the gospel the best we can, whether it be as a person who is a teacher and preacher or a person who has a job connecting with people or Maybe you do it online or you do it in some creative fashion. It doesn't really matter. You know, if you're working on an assembly line or working in an office along with others or in a nursing pool or you're a person that works in a big corporation where you've just got literally hundreds and hundreds of people around you, you've got lots of opportunities to be salt and light. So seek first. Secondly, we must focus on our objective our objective. What is our objective, church and Christian? Our objective is to increase the kingdom of God. Our objective is to add people. What is our product? Our product is people. Our focus is people. Jesus will take care of everything else. In fact, he already did. He made the message. He built the message. He gave us the truth. He gave us the way to heaven. Now he just tells us to go out and tell people. And so everything needs to surround that. Now, for me, obviously that's a stronger mandate for what I do. But then again, I am a person. I'm not just a pastor. I have to go out and be a father and a husband, and I have to be a neighbor, and I have to be a citizen. And in those other places, I need to think of people. I need to be thinking about how do I be that salt and light? I have blessed neighbors before. I have done what I can to pray for people in my neighborhood. I've given away vehicles. I've done different things to share the gospel and to invite them to a place where they can hear the gospel. Lots of different ways, you know, that we can do this. And for you as well, even if you're not in the ministry in some way. So you got to make the main thing the main thing. We must focus on what Jesus told us to do. Okay, thirdly, we must gather fruit 
gather the harvest, gather what is important to God. So this is an addition to the objective. And that is to not only just get people, but to disciple those people, to help them grow. So if you're a part of a church and you've got small groups, are you a part of a small group? You need to get in one. In fact, what you need to be thinking in terms of is leadership. You need to keep growing in your skills. And it's amazing to me how many times I've seen believers who really get a hold of that and can become incredibly fruitful. In fact, there are times I've seen people that have been so fruitful out there in the world and leading people, inviting people to church and discipling people. And they think, you know, I want to go into the full-time ministry. And I'm like, no, don't. Don't do it. Because you're much more fruitful where you are than being a pastor, you know, unless God has called you to do that. But there were many times I would say to my friends that, you know, sometimes I wish I was still back out there because I felt like I was doing more to expand the kingdom out there among the lost than I was within the church. Of course, that's silly thinking because, you know, as a pastor, I do have altar calls at every service, and I've been a part of leading people to Christ 40 plus years. But I'm only telling you that because it's so important. It's such a major part, and it's so satisfying too. So whatever you're doing, I encourage you to develop your leadership skills, to not only to share the gospel, but be a discipler, you know, be a person that gets into a small group and learns how to teach and encourage and build up other believers. And then again, it's a part of the process within the church. Jump in to the big harvest events, gather the fruit, man, be busy with that, making disciples. And then number four, we must grow in courage and in faith. If we back off, what does it tell us? That God will not be pleased. Faith is what pleases and impresses God. I mean, think about Abraham, who turned the head of the Father in heaven. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And those are just words to most of us, but it was everything to Abraham, and most importantly to God, because he was going to use that example himself, what he did with Isaac and offering and being willing to offer up his only son, God took that. I mean, from a human perspective, God took Abraham's example and said, I'm going to do the very same thing because you were willing to offer up your son. And he was going to, of course, bless the world through Abraham's sacrifice. So we got to look at Abraham and his courage to do what God had told him to do, to be willing to sacrifice his time, his energy, his money, and even his own son, his son that was the legacy of his future. And, you know, even as these words are coming out of my mouth, it's emotional because I have three sons. And these sons are very gifted young men. They're also each filled with the heart of God. I have been very, very careful. And with my wife, both of us have been very careful to pour into them these priorities, this kingdom thinking. And so being willing to give them up and to let them go out into the world is a very difficult thing. If you really love your children, you're not very excited about turning them over to a world that may abuse them or misuse them or forget them. It's hard. But you hold the knife of release over their lives and you let them go. This is a very emotional thing for me even to talk about because of how hard it is. 
some of you parents know what I'm talking about. And there's a grieving that goes with it. But also, you know that it's sowing the best of your life, sowing what you poured into these young people, my daughters included, because I mean, I understand Abraham and Isaac, but my daughters as well, being willing to give them to another man to go start a family with and start a whole new branch in the tree. So we have to have courage. We have to have faith. Courage to do what God has called us to do in a world that is threatening us, in a very threatening, dark world. We cannot shrink back. We just can't. I have had some of the biggest decisions of my life here in just the last year. And isn't it crazy? I'm getting ready to turn 60 years old here in just a few weeks. And it's amazing how some of these decisions I've had to make are the biggest that I've ever had to make. And yet they're going to also potentially produce the greatest harvest that I've ever experienced, whether in this life or in the life to come. And so we need to have courage to do that which takes a lot of courage to do. we got to have a lot of faith to trust God that what we offer up in the way of time and energy and money and our family, that it's going to produce a real harvest. And so I've been talking about family, but we can apply this to many different things, decisions in our lives that we're no longer going to stay on this path and move to another one, a new job to branch out. And even as simple as doing what I've said, to become a leader in your church, you know, it's a good thing to desire to want to be an elder or to be a small group leader or a deacon. It's a wonderful thing. Or even to have a heart to want to be a husband or a wife. These are things that God sees and he knows that are good and that will require faith and courage to do. Again, so many different possibilities for those of you who are listening to me when you think of the courage that it takes. So, folks, let's wrap this up. We don't want to have a short-termer attitude. We really don't. Because if we do, then we're losing opportunities. We're not faithful with the talents that God has given us. We're not faithful with the wonderful things that he's given us. We want to be faithful, and we want to be active, and we don't want to be lulled into a sleep. You know, Jesus is going to come when he comes, but until that time, we should be serving hard. In fact, again, when the trumpet sounds, we should be surprised. And in some ways, just like Paul, who said, you know what? I'm torn. To live is Christ. To die is gain. To live is to stay here and keep experiencing the power of what the gospel means to a life lived. But also, who can deny being with God in heaven and seeing the wonderful things in paradise, what that's going to be like? Mm. Wow. Paul was making it clear he was torn. But in the end, we just leave that up to God, don't we? We don't get a chance to choose that. Although Paul seemed to be willing to acquiesce to eternity. And of course, eventually it did come because he was martyred. His life was taken. So God answered that question for him, didn't he? But for us, it's to say, you know what? It's game on until it comes. I am going to serve him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm going to love him, going to serve him until he says it's time to go. So may God give you courage and faith to live that way every single day until we either hear the trumpet 
or you hear his voice whisper in your ear, it's time to go home. Bless you. You have a wonderful week. In fact, let me pray. Father, I pray, God, for us to have courage, to have wisdom, Lord, to stay focused, Lord, to not be lulled to sleep, Lord, to not be distracted by the things of this world. Lord, help us, Lord, to keep the main thing the main thing. Lord, this world is so easily distracted, and they count on us being that, whether it be the enemy or those who are influenced by him. Lord, we choose to listen to your Holy Spirit and to stay focused on the kingdom of God, seeking that first, seeking your righteousness, trusting that all these things will be added to us, and that, Lord, we gather the harvest, the fruit that lasts forever. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. God bless you. You have a wonderful week. See you next time.